Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, an AWS podcast focused on personal lessons of leadership, culture, and technology from business leaders across the globe. Enjoy today's conversation. Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. My name is Phil LeBron, and I'm a Director of Enterprise Strategy with AWS. With me today is Narav Kingsland, Head of Global Accounts for Anthropic. Narav, thanks for joining me today from a company that's been hitting the press in so many positive ways. To start off, can you share a little bit about yourself and your role? Thanks, Phil. It's wonderful to be here. Um, I was one of the first business hires at Anthropic and have done a mix of product strategy, fundraising, and major partnerships. Anthropic itself uh, formed three years ago when the company leaders spun out of OpenAI. At that time, OpenAI was focused on a bunch of different technologies, and our leaders thought that large language models were the future, and they also wanted to start an organization that focused on safety on the ground up. So we spent about our first two years building our large language model named Claude and uh, began to commercialize that over the past year. Fantastic. And you've got a mission to ensure transformative AI helps people and society flourish. What does this actually mean and and why does it matter in your mind? Sure. You know, we think AI has the potential to be perhaps the most powerful technology that humans have ever invented. And specifically, you know, when you think about human innovation and productivity, it's often limited by the number of people there are. You know, our brains are the the ceiling here when it comes to innovation. And AI has a chance to change that. You know, if we can create near human level intelligence, that'll just be a lot more intellectual horsepower um, going into inventing amazing things that can help humanity flourish. Uh, But when you look back on some of the most powerful historical technologies, if you think of electricity, the steam engine, nuclear power, uh, they can have positive impacts on society and negative impacts on society. So our goal is to create the safest and most capable AI model in the world so we can maximize the upside and reduce the downside of this powerful tech. And could you talk a little bit about your company's values and how they fit in with your mission? Sure. You know, when you think about our values, we view ourselves as part of a fabric that's more than a for-profit enterprise. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're there uh, to build a great product and sell that to our users and wow and delight them. But we also know that we are part of something bigger here um, that's going to intersect with government, civil society. And so in that sense, we try to be both a company and a steward of this technology. You mentioned Claude. What makes Claude unique? Sure. So Claude is the name of our large language model. And we think about uniqueness and differentiation on two dimensions. First is what we call capabilities. So think of that as how smart is the model? How fast is it? How cost effective is it? And over the past year, we've seen a lot of horse trading. You know, at sometimes Claude is the very best in the world, then it'll slip into second pass, then we'll put out a new model. So we're excited that we're on the frontier here, but it's unclear to us that this is going to be a source of long-term differentiation. We think there's a couple of companies that are going to stay at the frontier. But the one place we've consistently been ahead in is on safety. Um, we think that's incredibly important now, and it's going to get even more important as the technology gets more powerful Uh, Multiple research papers have shown that our model is the hardest frontier model to jailbreak, so to try to get it to say violent, toxic, racist things in its outputs. 
And as AI is deployed across major you know, sections of the economy, healthcare, education, finance, we think the safety differentiator is going to be incredibly valuable, both to enterprises and society as a whole. Without disclosing anything confidential, how do you go about ensuring that a bar of safety is met and exceeded? Sure. So we had a big research breakthrough last year called Constitutional AI. Um, So a little background on how these models are trained. Normally, uh, all the big companies, our first initial training run is basically a download of the internet. So that's where the model goes to school. And you can imagine when it comes out after that first training run, it's not the safest model in the world. Uh, The internet has some scary sections in it. And then what most companies do is they hire thousands of contractors to basically give feedback to the model in kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down way on whether its outputs are living up to the values we'd want. And the big issue there is quality control. You know, thousands of people you've never met are literally shaping the values of the model. And so we came up with a breakthrough where we could avoid that problem. And it's a three-part process. First is we create a constitution, which is why we call it constitutional AI. Our constitution is drawn from things as varied as uh, the UN Declaration of Human Rights and actual trust and safety documents from technology companies. Then the second thing we do is we get a very small number of experts who start giving feedback to the model on whether it's living up to that constitution. And then the big breakthrough is we have a smaller AI model watching those experts. And then once we feel it knows how to replicate those experts, we pull the experts out and we have a smaller model giving feedback to a larger model. And that allows us to scale up and avoid hiring those thousands of contractors. So it's still human judgment at the bottom, but it's scaled up with AI. um, And that's been our big breakthrough for creating the safest model in the world. Fantastic. So effectively using generative AI to monitor generative AI. Exactly. I'll ask this question. If you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But it's more our personal curiosity. What uh, constitutes ethical um, output from a model may vary from country to country. Different countries have different views on what is constitutional or what is toxic. How do you go about um, coping with those variations? It's a great question. Um, So we started broad, you know, we pulled from the UN Declaration of Human Rights as hopefully some proxy of uh, what humanity may agree on. But at the end of the day, we're a technology company, and it's not our job to say what the values of AI should be. Um, Given to your point, we live in a pluralistic world where different communities, religions, countries are going to have different values. And so how we think about this at the outset is like, there are some values that, you know, we hope are universal, thou shalt not kill or what have you. And we want to make sure our models don't do those kinds of harms. But outside of that, we want to give different communities and users the ability to tweak the model uh, to reflect their own values. So we actually released a research paper um, maybe a, a couple months ago, and it was called Collective Constitutional AI. And we actually went out and publicly sourced a bunch of new inputs for the Constitution. And then we started running experiments on uh, whether people thought the model was safer or not with the new inputs. And in a couple dimensions, they thought it were, and so that might change our Constitution. So over time, we want to build up the technical know-how where different communities could create their own Constitutions. What I found fascinating when I saw Claude in action, too, was if it comes across a prompt which it considers, say, unethical, it doesn't come back with the vanilla, I can't answer that, but it actually gives some context around why it can't answer it too. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, our goal is to give Claude through constitutional AI and our other training techniques, the judgment and wisdom that you'd want and expect from a trusted advisor. So vanilla answers that don't explain anything are not, you know, how we like to interact with each other as adults in the real world. And we want Claude to get to the place uh, where you'd be happy talking to it, getting advice from it, and it's exhibiting sound judgment. What else makes Claude unique in what is becoming a very crowded marketplace? Yeah, so Claude and Anthropic are ultimately a bet on scale. Uh, so when you zoom out to the very highest level, there's really only three inputs into a large language model. There's your chips, so the hardware you're using. Um, there's your software, that's the code you write and the research you do. And then there's the data you have available to you. And two out of those three are growing at a very, very fast rate. The hardware is getting better and the software and code is getting better. And so it feels very plausible to us that, you know, Claude 3 will be 10 times better than Claude 2 and Claude 4 will be another 10x better, so 100 times better than Claude 2. And over the next decade, we see that continuing. Now, we think there's only going to be a couple companies in the world that have both the capital to scale up on the hardware and the research prowess to stay at the frontier. And we think we'll be one of those. Um, so that's really our bet. And Anthropic's bet is a bet on scale. What's uh, Anthropic's vision for Claude and for AI more broadly, other than you see the models growing better? Um, where does this go to? Definitely. No, I think the thing we're most excited about and the promise we see in AI is if we can replicate what's happened with physical goods over the past 200 years with services. So if you think of the Industrial Revolution, you know, you used to have to be pretty rich to own 10 t-shirts and you no longer have to be. So the cost of physical goods has dropped and the quality has gone up. But when you think about services, uh, there's still a lot of inequality in that medical advice, education, financial advice. And we really think AI has the chance to increase the quality and de decrease the price of services, which could just be a boon for humanity. So I think that's one of our big goals over the next decade or so is can we really transform the service economy? It's, it's an incredibly exciting future, this tipping point we're seeing with AI. Uh, what are you seeing from customers which have blown you away in terms of use cases or that potential to transform humankind, as you put it? Yeah, I think some of the early work in knowledge work industries is just spectacular. Um, so one of our big partners with both AWS and Anthropic is LexisNexis, uh, the legal company. And so you can already use LexisNexis AI and have Claude summarize long legal documents. And, you know, that's adding value. But I think we're just at the beginning. Um, so, you know, imagine now Claude can save you a couple hours by summarizing, you know, three or four legal briefs. I think in the next decade, you know, we could get to a world where you're trying a case in six months and you say, Claude, help me develop a strategy for this case. And the model reviews all, you know, judgments by those judges, reviews all the briefs, reviews all the law journal articles, um, and then gives you actual forward-looking strategy. So, you know, we're really at the beginning of the service transformation, um, and I think it'll just keep continuing. And legal's one place we've seen big strides already. Well, I think your comparison is apt with the Industrial Revolution, where it wasn't just the technology which uh, transformed, but is how work got done. And 
we saw all boats rise in general in terms of wealth and well-being and the such like. It feels like we're at that sort of tipping point again with technology, one of those once-in-a-hundred-year transformations. Are you seeing the same? Yeah, you know, I really don't think there have been that many of them in the course of humanity. So maybe the invention of human language, then maybe agriculture, then maybe the Industrial Revolution, and now AI. Um, so I don't know, depending on how you count, maybe four in all of human history and just such an amazing time to be alive during one of them, uh, and a huge responsibility. These transitions can be very difficult for humanity. Um, and we want to do everything we can to make it go well. And just picking up on that point, you, one of the challenges we often see with new technology, as you describe it over the ages, is people's ability to use what's available, um, what advice would you give folks in terms of getting familiar with generative AI, Claude, large learning models in general, to really capitalize on what they can do for an organization? Yeah, you know, I think I try to both be bullish on you should try and be humble that these things are very, very hard to predict. So, you know, personally, I just started using, as soon as I joined Anthropic and, you know, had early access to it, Claude in my everyday life. Um, and so, you know, let me give you an example. If I'm going to go talk with a company, uh, obviously I can Google around and get some background on them. But one thing I always do is I say, Claude, give me 10 ways this company could use AI. And then it'll give me 10. And some of them will be good and some won't be good. And I'll pick the two or three I like the most. And I'll say, give me 10 more like that. And then I might say, give me 10 more crazy ones that you don't think I'll like. And, you know, basically two to three minutes, I have a list of 50 ideas, maybe only half of which I would have thought of myself. Uh, so that's just one example of, you know, maybe a place you wouldn't have expected Claude to be good in this kind of quick brainstorming iteration. Uh, and you only find this stuff out if you try. So, yeah, would definitely recommend uh, just kind of diving into it. What a great creative use of, uh, of a large language model. We hope you're enjoying the discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. You talked about the differentiation of Anthropic, you know, particularly around trust and safety. Um, could you talk about two other areas I'm fascinated by? One is leadership and the other is, is the transparency to give people confidence in uh, using generative AI? Yeah, you know, I guess in some sense, our goal as a company is similar to our goals for Claude. <laughs> like, we want to exhibit sound ethical judgment as we scale. And, you know, just as the model needs to be trustworthy, so do the companies that build these models. Uh, so we spent a lot of time building a top tier leadership team, a very experienced board, that can navigate the trade-offs we're going to face um, as we scale up commercially and the technology has a bigger impact on society. We've also spent a lot of time with government and civil society testifying in front of Congress, meeting with the White House, meeting with global heads of state. Our big you know, internal motto here is we never want government to be surprised. We want them to know where this technology is heading so they can plan and develop possible policy thoughtfully rather than, you know, in a time crunch when bad decisions can be made. And so, you know, I guess in terms of company deferential, uh, we'd love if our team and our models were considered the most trustworthy in the world. And I think we're off to a good start, but we have a lot more to do to earn that. Fantastic. Just coming back to the 
people side. You talked about your own organization and the importance of of leadership and, and the people you hire. When we think about our own customers, uh, one of the questions we often get is, what skills do I need to hire or develop in our organization to be able to use, say, a claw to transform our business? Have you got any advice for, for listeners in terms of some of those skill sets you look for? Definitely. You know, I can think of three rules that are going to become increasingly important as they relate to AI. One very tactically is prompt engineering. So this is the ability to tell the model the right instructions to get the outputs you want. And this is a very, very uh, both fun and hard job. And you know, we've seen evals where good prompt engineering can get 20 to 30 percentage points jumps on passing an eval just by giving the model different instructions. A second big role is how you think about your data teams. So what these large language models have the ability to do is take unstructured data and turn them into enterprise value. And that's a very new technique. And so you need to rethink the data assets you have and how you can use those to educate and train a model. And then lastly, I just say like on the product management, you know, even if we froze this technology at its current capabilities, I think we'd see new products being built for decades just because it's all so new. And so finding and developing PMs who can go around your organization and spot these new innovative use cases, I think is going to be very, very important and allow you to get a jump. So prompt engineering, data, and product development are three areas where we see some companies really taking off. It sounds almost like an accelerator for things businesses should be doing today. Ask great questions, understand your data and how to get value from it and build products which people actually want. Totally. Uh, And now you just have uh, one more incredible tool to do all those things if you can harness it. Fantastic. Could you talk a little bit about the the relationship between AWS and Anthropic, how that came about and, and what the two companies are doing together? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things that made this partnership uh, extremely valuable to us. Um, As a starting point, it was shared values. You know, we view AWS as, you know, the first major cloud provider that really put a stake in the ground on security and got enterprises trusting them with their data. And we've started to build that, but we know that'll take years to build the reputation AWS has built. Um, But that was very, very important to us in choosing a partner. And then second, you know, we're in the business world and there were aligned incentives. Um, AWS was looking for a frontier AI technology to help power its cloud. And Anthropic was looking for a top tier commercial entity that had immense scale. Um, You know, Anthropic right now is a 300 person company. Um, We do not have the outreach, the pipelines, the customer relationships to get this technology in the hands of all the people that could benefit from it. And it's just been an awesome and incredible relationship to work with the AWS uh, account teams, go-to-market teams, product teams, to increase the velocity of uh, getting Claude out there to the world. Uh, it is incredibly exciting. It's it's coming up in conversation a lot. We, we had a conversation with the Financial Times recently, and they were more interested in the anthropic relationship than anything else we're doing with generative AI, which was uh, really interesting. You've really caught people's attention. On the um, topic of responsible AI, you've talked about what you're doing as an organization. Uh, One of the other questions we get from customers is, what should they be doing? So they hear these terms like responsible AI, 
um, ethics, hallucinations, toxicity. Uh, They understand they have a responsibility to use um, AI in general and specifically generative AI safely. Any advice you'd give them in, in terms of things to focus on? Sure. You know, I do think, you know, obviously picking the right partner is going to be incredibly important. Like the partnerships you build with your cloud and AI providers will affect the trajectory of your company and they will likely be multi-year partnerships. And so I would think about, you know, who shares your values, uh, who can help you build um, and who shares your vision of where you want to take your company. On the more tactical side, I think evals or evaluations are some of the most underinvested things we see in enterprises. A good evaluation, both on model accuracy and model safety, can go incredibly far in catching things before you deploy. And then the last thing I think is just standard business practice is you never know till you uh, roll things out in the real world. So uh, alphas, betas, smaller pilots, you just keep on getting user feedback. Um, and then one other thing to consider is when you keep humans in the loop and when you pull them out. Um, so for something, you know, let's say a doctor giving medical advice, uh, we would want that doctor to be the final advice giver right now, given where the model quality is. Um, now, maybe at some point the models get so good that we would trust them to interact with humans directly in a high stake situation like that. Um, but that's always one fallback you have is just keep a human in the loop. So the final arbiter of whether the model's answer is good is one of your internal experts. I, I think that's one of the exciting things we're seeing with generative AI is we talk about human in the loop from a safety point of view, but it's taken some of that undifferentiated work, all of that ridiculous amount of research a doctor, for instance, has to do a year to keep up to date, which is almost impossible given their day job and now being able to help them find answers without uh, replacing what they do incredibly well in terms of that engagement with with the patient themselves. Exactly. And, you know, doctors are one great example. You know, another set of groups we've worked with are wealth management advisors. So, you know, you're on a call, a customer asks you, you know, should I invest in the S&P 500 or emerging market stocks? And surely, you know, your big investment bank has a memo on this somewhere. And previously, you know, you'd have to do an internal search, 30 different documents would come up, you'd have to read them. But imagine a world, and we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there, where you just make a natural language query, Claude reads all your documents, and then it gives you the answer in two seconds. Um, So I really think it has the chance, when you think of those knowledge work advisors, to really increase their productivity and just make their jobs more fun. Absolutely. I assume you're not going to give us any tips for investments in 2024? (laughs) Probably not. Uh, Probably not. Uh, You can uh, ask Claude, though. Actually, that might be against our terms of service, too. But uh, so I will demur on that. Great. Narav, we've talked about organizations and some of the things they need to be thinking about with generative AI. Um, Leadership, when you're going through profound change, is incredibly important. What advice would you give leaders, technologists and non-technologists, as they think about what they could be doing with your technology? Yeah, you know, some of the best leadership I've seen in our partners comes from the CEO and the executive team, keeping an eye on where the technology is heading. You know, so all of us, uh, you know, in these orgs are day down doing our job. And one thing I look for my own CEO for is like, to have the bird's eye view of where are we heading and how should I orient myself and my day-to-day to that. 
And in particular here, I think it's orienting your company to how fast these models are getting better. Like humans just struggle with exponential growth. Uh, we saw that with COVID and you know, a variety of other things. It's just hard to wrap your mind around when things are going 10x every year or two. And so I think what you really want to resist is, you know, your employees playing around with these models and they see an error and then they kind of scoff and they can't quite paint a picture for themselves of where the models are just going to be in three to five years from now. And I think great executives are doing that and they're helping their teams build product roadmaps that are tied to where the models will be in three to five years, not just where they're at today. It's a really interesting point. You mentioned Edison earlier on when he lit his first street in New Jersey. One of the papers said, well, that's mildly interesting, but it's not exactly going to change the world, is it? So that ability ability to see past some of the current flaws and really think big is, is going to be incredibly important to organizations. Exactly. Any parting advice you'd give the audience in terms of starting their journey or how to approach their journey with generative AI? Yeah, you know, in addition to that advice of think about where the models are heading, two other things come to mind. One is I'd really encourage companies to think about adopting generative AI um, in ways that hit the core of their business. Um, so, you know, some companies, and I totally get it, come to us and say, uh, you know, we want to begin automating some customer service. And that's useful, and that can give you efficiency gains, but no company is going to win um, because, you know, they did that. The companies that are going to win in their respective industries in an LLM world are going to be the companies that figured out how to use LLMs to double down on their core differentiators. And so as quickly as possible, I would start thinking about that. And then second, you know, familiarizing yourself with the available tools is really important. And you know, I can give a quick taxonomy. Um, at first, you start with prompting. Um, that's the thing to start with right away. Then second, most companies go to RAG, which is Retrieval Augmented Generation, which is just a fancy way to say, you know, the model can call your databases. So it can pull your proprietary information in. And then the third major tool is fine-tuning, where you actually retrain the model on your data. And we see companies uh, misusing these tools. So, for example, you never want to fine-tune a model on data that's going to change next week, because that data is now in the model's like long-term memory, and it'll get very confused. So data that changes frequently, you want to use with RAG retrieval. So you can have the model call the database, and you can change the docs in the database whenever it changes. Now, if it's something that's more you know, essential to your industry, the way a lawyer thinks or the way you write a legal draft, those are the things that are great for fine-tuning. So really understanding the difference between prompting, retrieval, and fine-tuning, I, I think is some low-hanging fruit that can get people moving quickly. Great. And you bring the conversation back to some really fundamental uh, needs of leadership, really understanding your business differentiation, really understanding what your customers want. And falling in love with the problem, not the solution. So in some cases, perhaps large language models aren't the solution to your to your problem. But understanding what that problem is, is foundational for, for leaders. Thank you so much for your time. I, I find your company really exciting, doing some incredibly interesting things, particularly around what you were describing as constitutional AI. Uh, really appreciate your time. I look forward to continuing the partnership with Anthropic over the next few years. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. For more on these topics, visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights. While there, be sure to learn more about AWS Exec Leaders, an invite-only global community for business and technology leaders. Thank you.